Hello folks, good morning. Welcome to the fellowship. It's good to be here. So this morning we're back in Philippians chapter 2. Our text this morning is uh, verses 12 through 18. Um, But I want want to read starting verse 1 through 18 just so we have the full context of all this. Um, And so this this text this morning comes right after uh, what, you know, as we're going through the book of Philippians, so it makes sense. It comes right after last week's sermon, uh, the great Christological passage from verses 6 through 11 that we talked about last week. And so uh, right here after this big, great Christological passage, some say it's a hymn. We didn't get into all that last week, but that's no big deal. But right after this big Christological passage, Paul gets into more of the practical thing. So he's like, he says, This great statement, verses 6 through 11. And then he's like, all right, so now this is what you need to do with that. So based on 6 through 11, do this. So 1 through 5 is, here's what you need as the church in Philippi. And then 5 through 11, here's your example. And then 12 through 18 is like, now go do this. Kind Kind of, this is what you can do with all that. So he gets back into the practical. So we'll start in verse 1 and go through 18. So let's read. It says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be treated, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, that you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as star as shine, in which you shine as lights in the world. I'm reverting back to my New King James. Um, in which you shine as lights in the world by holding on to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I will have a reason to boast that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice together with all of you. And in the same way, you also should be glad and rejoice together with me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray uh, now as you open this text to us, you will hide me behind the cross. Help me to um, explain and illustrate this text as best we can. Open our hearts to receive it. And I pray that you are glorified for it. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, he starts out, uh, so then, my dear friends, your version may be different and for good reason because it's a little bit stronger than my dear friends. He, he really um, 
He's really saying, my beloved. The word used here is agapetoi, uh, where we get agape love from, which is the unconditional type of love. Very strong affection that Paul is saying here. So he says, so then, my dear friends, um, and he's, he's sort of uh, echoing back um, from chapter 1, where he talks about his affection for the church at Philippi, and even in chapter 2, um, verses 1 and the first part of 2, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy. So not only is he speaking toward his love for them, but he's reminding them of you know their affection for him as well. Um, and so you know, a few weeks ago, I had a I got a text from a former student of mine from the very first church where I was first youth minister at. And uh, he just, you know, was asking about how this church is going and how things are going here. And uh, we just kind of exchanged some pleasantries back and forth. And he was very encouraging. He said, you know, I'll be praying for you and everything. And then a couple Saturdays ago now, he texted me again and uh, just, I guess, was in a different place. Maybe he wanted me to press in further a few weeks back, but, but I didn't. But he just was telling me how he's... He's struggling a little bit. He needs some prayer and asking if I would pray for him and and all this. And uh, so we we talked for a little bit and I encouraged him. I was like, you need to get into a good, solid, Bible-believing church. And he told me where he is living now, which I wasn't aware he had moved or anything. But um, I have a friend that's a pastor in that area. So I I told him, I was like, you need to go to this church. And I messaged that pastor, his contact, my friend's contact information and said you need I was like can you reach out to this guy he's struggling he needs a good church and all this and um, you know as I was reflecting back on all that I was thinking you know he's he's struggling and he wanted to reach out because you know there's a bond there there's affection that him and I share with one another because 15 years ago when I was his youth pastor we had built that relationship and it's still um, even though you know we we chat like we did a few weeks ago, periodically, you know, maybe once or twice a year, we'll, we'll chat or we'll interact on social media from time to time, but not, not anything very, very significant. But he felt comfortable enough reaching out to me because we do have that bond. There is that affection there. And I think that's good. I think, you know, probably a lot of us have those types of relationships in our lives where we have people from our past that we know we can count on no matter what. We can reach out to those people um, and it, it may be that somebody in here is struggling and you need to reach out to maybe somebody else in this room or somebody else that you need, um, that you have that affection with. It could be that we know people that we don't know if they're struggling or not, but we need to reach out to them anyway. And so um, the Christian life is, is built upon relationships that we have with one another. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, that, you know, Paul here is is sharing continually about his affection for this church and how um, you know they reciprocate that affection as well so he says my dear friends or beloved or my loved ones is another way you could you could translate that so he says my dear friends just as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but even more in my absence continue working out your salvation so this is not uh, you know Paul is, is speaking to their sanctification Paul is speaking to their uh, growth and their progress in the faith. As they grow and they're sanctified, this is what Paul is speaking to. Um, how they've obeyed, um, 
they're they're being obedient in their faith. They're being obedient to Jesus in their faith. Um, just like the example he gave a few verses earlier, how Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Philippian church has been obedient, not only in his presence, but even more so in his absence. And remember, just from a few weeks ago, they're facing persecution and these other things, and they're having opportunities to be obedient, especially when it counts. And so he's saying that, you know, not only in my presence, but even more so in my absence. And he says, continue working out your own salvation. Um, I think this is... Uh, this is good because, you know, like I said, this is not this is not talking about works-based salvation. This is not talking about anything we do to earn our salvation. But this is the sanctification process. This is because you're saved, go then and work, right? And so uh, we're what we are saved with is what we'll be saved to. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but what we're saved with is what we're saved to. So if we're saved with a very easy believism type of gospel presentation, then we're going to think that the Christian life is no more than just, you know, going to church on occasion or whatever. But um, it basically just receiving fire insurance so that we can escape hell. That's what, you know, a lot of gospel presentations turn into. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is, is this. It's that we, once we're saved, we are working out our salvation. Um, I love that this church has done new members classes because it not just puts everybody on the same page, um, you know, vision-wise, theologically, and everything else, but it also shows to new members, people that want to be members of this church, that this church involves a commitment and there's there's work to be done. Um, this this church membership requires action that we have to be a part of. And so just, you know, as you've heard me say before, there's two kinds of people in the world, the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved need to get saved and the saved need to serve. So that's the kind of message that Paul is saying here, that we need to continue working out our, our own salvation. Um, and that's why we got to look at the whole counsel of Scripture, because all of God's, um, all that God reveals about himself um, is what we need to look at whenever we're, um, you know, we can't just take this verse uh, in this one context here. Because if we, this verse is one of those ones that a lot of people take out of context to say we are supposed to work toward our salvation. And that's definitely not what he's talking about. Um, as he, you know, if we just look a little bit further, we understand that. Verse 13, for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and effort for the sake of his own good pleasure, is God. Uh, if we just look a little bit further, we know that that verse is not talking about a works-based salvation. But we get to Ephesians 8 and 9, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and we see Paul saying there, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God It is not from works, so that no one can boast. So it's not about us doing anything to earn our salvation because then we would have reason to boast if we could do something to bridge the gap between us and God. But that's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is we're working out our salvation for our own sanctification. Um, we're saved. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're saved to do work. Um, our work is the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. It's another good way to put it, I think, for us to 
memorize it or think about it in that regard. Um, the working out of our salvation, um, it's the, the toiling or the tediousness, um, and that's uh, for working toward our salvation. So it's there's a, there's a bit of effort on our part that we have to do. In 2 Peter 1.5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort. And then back in verse 6, Paul says, or chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For I'm sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's sure of that very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Christ Jesus. This work that is in you is going to be perfected by Christ, um, but we are still part of that effort. And he, he creates that effort in us. 1 Corinthians 3, this part that um, Aaron read earlier, is another good picture of how we are part of the work in the process of sanctification. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. It says, What is Apollos really, or what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, and each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. So neither the one who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, both God who, but God who causes the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters work as one, but each will receive his reward, his reward according to his work. We are co-workers belonging to God. You are God's field, God's building. Um, it's easy for us, I think, in Christianity to get distracted by big events, big things, the mountaintop experiences as we consider them. Um, back when I was a youth pastor, the biggest thing we did every summer or every year was summer camp. And that was a big thing. It, it took the most time, the most planning, the biggest cost, the most energy was all put into this, you know, maybe a week long adventure. Uh, but um, it also allowed myself and the other adult leaders to build relationships with the students in ways that we couldn't do just meeting throughout the week, you know, once a week or whatever. Um, and then we could also take that and build upon those relationships that had been developed at camp. Um, and it was just a great experience. And, but um, even though we did consider that a mountaintop experience because you go and you're, you're secluded away from everything and you're worshiping God all week, we went to a lot of mission camps. So we were you know, it's like mission trip combined with a youth camp all together. And so we were, we were working and serving in different communities and all sorts of different ways. Um, and so you're connected through service as well as all the worship and Bible study that you were experiencing as well. And so it truly was this big mountaintop experience, but, but that's not really where Christians are intended to exist. We're not intended to, to always exist up on a mountaintop experience. It's, you know, just most of the Christian life is spent in the mundane, just in the ordinary, the day-to-day. Um, and that's where we find this encouragement from Paul, I think. Um, he says, work out your own salvation, uh, living faithfully, consistently, in just this ordinary obedience. And that's, uh, that's very encouraging to me because um, I think we have these grandiose ideas that the Christian life is like we got to be doing all this stuff for God and we always got to be doing, doing, doing. And that's true. We, we do things for God, but even just the everyday, mundane, living our lives of obedience to God is is enough. That's enough of what he requires from us. Um, you know, as we, as we go about our days um, and look for opportunities to serve him throughout, 
is really what he's after, what he's requiring for us. So working out our salvation, um, that's what we're doing. Um, from time to time, uh, Carol and I, probably like a lot of you, we like to escape through the dumpster fire that is reality TV. Um, it's just a nice little, um, we don't feel too bad about judging those people in some regards because it's like, what is going on with these people on this show? And and it's it's entertaining and it's we don't have to think about it or anything. Most recently, we watched this one where it's like early 20s, uh, thought they were going to this um, spa-like you know, resort weekend to go and be filmed doing spa-like resort stuff, I guess. But instead, they were taken to a camping site. Uh, really, is more like what we would consider glamping. Um, but it was this camping site nonetheless, and it was way different from what they thought they were going to go do. And so they they go out there, and they they face these different challenges throughout the whole ordeal that's supposed to meant to break them down, but also kind of build them up in like self-sufficiency all at the same time and um, and it was just it was, it was pretty awful actually but <laughs> what we enjoyed most about that was being able to watch them do something so simple as like just they washed a few dishes after everybody ate and then they would go be interviewed by the camera and talk about oh, I'm just I'm such a good person now and I've grown so much over doing these small little insignificant tasks that's like you wash dishes so now you're a good these are spoiled brats that are doing this and now they're just a good person because they did nothing and it made us laugh every time and that is not the Christian life Jesus didn't die for us to uh, do the minimum requirements as a follower of God and then brag about it that we're oh we're, we're doing so much for God you know that is not that is not a good picture of the Christian life um, serving God is a humble pursuit, uh, but it's not something that we do for the glory and prestige of the the act itself. Uh, we we do our good works to point to God, not not to us. And so he says, "Work out your salvation with awe and reverence." This awe and reverence, maybe your version says, "Fear and trembling." So this is an Old Testament idiom for for fear and trembling, um, and it's uh, that's the position we're supposed to be before the Lord. When we think of God, we should think about God with awe and reverence or with fear and trembling. Um, remember back in uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, Paul says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. So there's no better cure for selfish ambition or vanity than awe and reverence. That's a, that's a great cure for that. If you have awe and reverence for a holy and precious and almighty and transcendent and other God, then if you have awe and reverence for God, then you're, you're going to get over your selfish ambition pretty quickly, I believe. Um, and then moving on to verse 13, he says, For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Uh, now, mine puts is God at the end. For emphasis, maybe your version puts it at the beginning. It's God who is doing these things. Um, either way, it's there for emphasis, um, and that's the reason. Um, that's who. That is who is giving us not just the desire, but also the effort. Some versions say will and work. Um, we're we're doing this to will and to work for His good pleasure. Um, 
Sometimes, though, our will doesn't line up with God's will, so we have to ask God to align our will to his will. Uh, We don't pray for God to maybe make his will what our will needs to be. We might pray for the things we want um, and ask God for those things, but if what we want is completely outside of his will, then that's that's a futile prayer. You know, first we should pray for our will to be lined up with God's will, and then our wants are going to be changing based on our will not lining up with His will. In Romans 7, we get a, a picture of our will not lining up with God's will. Um, so let's look at that. Verses 14 through 20, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will to do that I practice. But if now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So it's a very confusing text, but I think we get the picture. It's not necessarily us who wills to do the evil things, but we want we need to be aligning our will to God's will. This is basically what Paul's trying to say there. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right after Paul lays out the gospel and gives proof for the resurrection uh, that, you know, that Jesus was seen by Cephas or Peter, and then the twelve, and then over 500 people. He finally gets to verse 8, and we read this. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10, it says, Last of all, as though to one born out at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So it's God who puts the desires in our hearts, and it's through God's strength that we are given the effort. So we have the effort from God, we have the desire from God. It's God who does it in us. And then he gets on and says, verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This word grumbling here is not even a word. Um, It's just, it's literally... The word is meant to sound like the thing it is. So the the word is gagosman, and it's just, it means grumbling. It means like murmuring under your voice, um, murmuring under your breath kind of a thing. Um, so it's like, you know, you're just complaining about gagosman. And that's basically what this, this is saying. So he says, do, it, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Um, at my last church, when I first started... Uh, and, and really for most of the time we were there, we were a mobile church. So we met at a hotel, and so that means we had to set up and tear down every week. Um, and so with me, when I first came on, uh, none of the other staff or elders, they knew anything about running sound or anything, and I had done that previously a bit. Um, so they put me in charge of all of the production side of stuff. So that meant I was in charge of, I had to be the first one there, and to help set up and everything and figure all that stuff out. And it was a, it was a thing, you know, to get up at seven or to not get up, but to get at to the hotel at 7am to start pulling out 
um, sound systems and running cables and erecting a giant screen and doing all those things, um, it was it was annoying. I, I did not enjoy it, and I grumbled and complained through most of the time. Maybe not whenever the other you know volunteers started showing up to help. Um, maybe I put on a pretty face then, but like in my heart, I was complaining a lot. I was not um, I was not serving with a cheerful heart as we should, but. I was I was grumbling and complaining through a lot of that. Sometimes, uh, you know, we get there and like the the chairs were too close together. Sometimes they were too far apart. Sometimes the hotel staff didn't put the chairs out at all, or sometimes they didn't vacuum. They didn't clean up all the glitter and confetti or whatever it was from their event they had the night before. Um, but very rarely did I ever um, <laughs> ever get up there and, and not have a Sunday morning where I'm start out grumbling and complaining um, but um, you know without fail as other volunteers showed up and they would have their coffee and they'd be getting to work and helping out and everything slowly but surely as I started being surrounded by God's people you know I started my attitude started changing and, I, and part of it was just being around God's people I think a big part of it was Holy Spirit conviction saying you're not doing this with a cheerful heart. You're not serving the Lord. Um, you're not serving these people as unto the Lord. And so it was, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a heart change that happened every Sunday morning in me. Um, and so Paul is very clear and evident in saying, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And the reason for that is verse 15, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, um, Without, without blemish, though you live in a crooked, crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. So this uh, blameless here, it's really, it's a term originally used for like sacrificial animals and then it started becoming used metaphorically for human beings, for, for people. And so you think about in the Old Testament sacrificial system when they would bring an animal to sacrifice it had to be a spotless without blemish lamb or something and as believers we are to be that same as at, on the sacrifice of our service right we are to be a, a blameless pure creature before God we offer up our lives before God um, even though the sacrifice has been made in Christ the sacrifice of our faith is still we still should be able to present ourselves blameless before God. And pure, that's a term from, from the wine industry that just means unmixed. So um, sometimes people would mix wines together and it wasn't a pure um, as it was initially intended to be. And so uh, this is a metaphor for moral purity. So for us, we should be blameless, um, spotless, pure, without blemish. Um, and then crooked and perverse society this is uh from from saying god is our standard god is the plumb line the standard the the straight i think of like a uh when when you're doing construction and you have to line something up with the 90 degree straightness um that is god is our standard for that he's our measuring read our straight edge and any deviation from that, any crookedness from that gets bent, any bend off of that is, is not right. And that's the society we live in. God is our straight edge standard and the society we live in is, is crooked and perverse. 
that's off of that. Literally, crooked is where we get our word scoliosis from here. Um, and so that's where we're going. But the, the church is called to be a light into that darkened world. We're called to shine as lights. And this is a corporate thing. In fact, this whole section is where it said you should do this. It's, it's a corporate. It's a plural you. It's talking about you as a corporate body. So we do this as a church body, not as individuals. Um, and shining as lights in the world, um, that doesn't, that's not always a natural thing for all of us. We're not always the most boisterous or the most outgoing people. But corporately as a church, we can be. And so, um, for instance, my, my friend Jason, um, people used to you know, say, hey, you know, when I would ask him, how you doing? He would always say, doing great and getting better. And it just always puts you in a good mood. You know, when you hear somebody that comes up with something positive like that, um, another friend of mine would say, you know, how are you doing? He'd say, oh, better than I deserve. You know, that's kind of just the thing. And it makes you, um, you know, makes you have a little bit more positive uh, outlook on things. And so um, I loved his energy and his positivity. So after he passed, um, I was working at, uh, Sundown Ranch Drug Rehab, and I had a few shifts where I'd get there at like six in the morning, and we start getting the clients up and everything. So you have these kids that are, you know, don't want to be at a drug rehab. It's for 12 to 24 year olds, you know. They don't want to be at the drug rehab, and they're there. And so as we start getting them up and start milling about, and people say, "Oh, good morning, how you doing?" and stuff. So I just started saying, "Doing great and getting better," you know, just trying to give some positivity to the day. And uh, it, I noticed it started being contagious, and people were like, my positivity started wearing on, wearing on to other people, and they started being more and more um, having a better outlook. And it was, uh, you know, they got past the they're dreading having to be there, they're dreading waking up and being in this place, and all that. They got over that and started having a, a more positive outlook and a better day. Instead of complaining negatively, um, I was proclaiming positively. So I know that sounds like a Joel Osteen kind of a thing, but I wasn't complaining in a negative way, but I was proclaiming in a positive way that this is going to be a good day. And that's the kind of lights in this dark world, this crooked and perverse world that we should be. And that's what Paul goes on talking about in verse 16. So we're to shine as lights in the world by holding on to the word of life so that on the day of Christ, I will have a reason to boast that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. So uh, we're holding on to some versions that might say holding out the word of life. So we're not just holding on to the word of life, preserving it. But we're holding on to the word of life, God's revealed word to us. We're holding that out for others as well by shining as lights in this world. And you know about my friend Jason? Let me tell you about my friend Andy. Uh, when I worked at Sundown still, uh, on Monday and Tuesday nights, we had AA meetings and NA meetings. And so Andy would come out with a big group of like 20 or so people from Athens, and they would bring the Narcotics Anonymous meeting, the NA meeting, on Tuesday nights. And uh, it's a big group, and the, the clients always loved that meeting because it was a big group of people, of other addicts that you know came to share their experience, strength, and hope of that they found through recovery. And, uh, you know, it was... There's never a dull moment. They would be in there for an hour, and it was never like downtime waiting on somebody to share something. And there were stories that were encouraging to them, and the clients could see hope in that. And uh, 
And so it was a big group that would come in and kind of take over. But Andy was one that would stand out among all these people that would bring this meeting. And he would, as the group was coming, you know, the clients would already be in there seated as the group was coming in. And they're saying hi to all the clients and everything. And then Andy would come in. And without fail, he'd walk through the door and say, Come on, somebody! And he was just excited. And the clients loved him. And so they're high-fiving and they're shaking hands and all this stuff. And he was just, he was just this big um, personality, this big happy person that would come in. Eventually, um, <laughs> Andy just told me, he's like, hey, I applied to work out here um, doing what you do. And so I was like, man, come on, somebody. That's exciting. You know, I was excited to have Andy come and join our team because... The clients already loved him. They already knew him. And I just knew he was going to be a great staff to have with us. And he was. He was one of my favorite uh, co-workers to have. Um, and it was just always, uh, you know, a positive story. In fact, this is a, this is a way a side story. But um, Andy, as I've learned, was a huge Texas Rangers fan. And when the Rangers in their, their old stadium, they got a new... Uh, one of those screens that goes all the way around. I think it's called an infinity screen or something. It's like a tracker or whatever. And so they had a contest for uh, slogans to put on that screen. And so I think they, they chose like four or five winners, but he got like free tickets, free parking, a tour of the stadium, uh, vouchers for food, all this stuff um, because his statement won. And so he's telling me all, all about this. And I asked him, I was like, well, what statement did you put? What did you submit that won? Thinking surely it's, come on somebody but it was let's get crazy loud or something i was like why that's not your signature statement man what's going on here but that's what he put and so um it's fine <laughs> but so that that was andy though but we um we're not we're not all that we're not all big personalities um but um you know when we complain it doesn't matter if we're proclaiming or not it doesn't matter what we're proclaiming if we're if we're complaining people aren't going to want to listen to us and as the i think the good thing about this is this is a corporate thing this is a a you plural kind of a thing so this is us thing so if we avoid complaining then what we proclaim will be better but also we're not having to do this alone um, and I think for the Christian life, um, and I, I wrote this down because I think it's good. I want to I read it. It's going to be on the screen. It says, the Christian life of humble service is so radical from the rest of the world that it shines light in the dark world around us. So the world around us, when we, when we have our humble Christian service, it is, it is so radical from everything around us that... It shines, it shines a light in the world around us. The Christian life of humble service is so radical from the rest of the world that it shines light into the dark world around us. And so Paul goes on to say, verse 17, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice together with all of you. So remember, Paul's in prison, and he doesn't know, even though he said before he thinks he's probably going to be released from prison and return to them, he doesn't know. So he said, if, I, if I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering, meaning uh, Old Testament sacrificial system, they would, at the end of the sacrifice, they would pour out wine 
or something onto the altar at the base of the altar and what happens when you pour liquid on hot coals it steams up and it goes up like a sweet smelling aroma and it's gone in an instant too so it's not just a sweet smelling aroma to god but it's also gone in an instant so he's saying i might be poured out like a drink i might be gone like quick but um whatever it is um he says, I'm glad and rejoice together with all of you. And in the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice together with me. Um, even though Paul was unsure his current Roman situation, you know, he still is inviting them to rejoice with him. Um, do we do this? Do we celebrate one another's success? Um, as much as we should celebrate each other's successes, um, we should also be there in each other's struggles as well. And I think sometimes it's easier for us in the struggles. You know, we we have no problem asking for prayer requests or sharing prayer requests. Uh, we have prayer meetings, but how often do we have praise reports? How often do we, we never have a praise meeting. You know, we have pra- prayer meetings all the time. We don't have praise meetings. Um, you know, and I don't think that, uh, you know, Jesus didn't turn water into wine to help drown people's sorrows. Just and it, I'm not trying to discount prayer. You know, I'm not trying to discount prayer at all. Prayer is important. We need prayer. We should continue to pray. We should continue to share our struggles with one another. But we should also be there in the in the positive things. We should praise the successes that we have in each other's lives as well. And so, like I said, Jesus didn't turn water into wine to help drown sorrows. He did it to keep the party going. You know, he and that seems like so backwards to a lot of our thinking, but that's literally when when the good wine was run out and all the other wine had gone, he turned water into wine and they said, Why are you putting out the best wine now? Usually people put out the good wine first, but he did it to keep the party going. And so I think for us as believers, you know, it wasn't so they could drown their sorrows. It was so that the party could keep going. And so we should we should be comfortable celebrating with each other especially in our successes and things. So um, I think the best way to do it is to go out and serve in this humble service that Paul is leading us to. And then through that humble service of, you know, just in the everyday mundane as we go through our lives, we're going to have things to celebrate through that. And so um, I think we should... uh, we should bring that back. We should report back. Um, so that's your encouragement for this week. Go and do so you come back and report. So find ways to go serve God. Um, that, that's what we're called here to do is, is to serve. And so let's go and do that. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, all the opportunities you give us to serve. I pray that you continue to work in us to, to serve. Help us to shine as lights in the world around us. Help us to face you with awe and reverence, and that will cause us to want to go and serve you more. Help us to rejoice um, when we report back the things and opportunities you've given us. So give us opportunities this week to serve you, Lord. Help us take advantage of those and, and not let them pass by. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.